Welcome to Meet, Act, and Part, a Masonic podcast hosted by Midnight Freemasons. Greg Knott, Darren Larners, Todd Friesen, and Bill Hostler. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of Meet, Act, and Part, the podcast. And let us introduce ourselves. I'm one of your co-hosts. I am Greg Knott. I'm another one of your co-hosts. I'm Bill Hostler. And last but not least, I'm your third co-host, Darren Laners. So it's the year end. Uh, this is our second full year of putting this podcast together. You know, looking back two years ago, we weren't quite sure where it was going to go. The three of us were talking and we've had, you know, a few other guest co-hosts from now and then. But it's been a fun journey seeing where it went, who we've talked to, the discussions we've had with brothers from literally all over the world. It's also, you know, it's coincided with the COVID pandemic. Uh, I think if we went back and listened early to some of our March, April, May of 2020 podcasts, none of us ever dreamt we'd still be here two years later still talking about it, but we are. And certainly that has not only impacted our little podcast, but certainly the Freemasonry in general and you know, more importantly, the world at large. So that that's had an impact, I think, on where we've been. So what we thought we'd do is just sort of go around. We'll have a roundtable tonight with uh, Darren, Bill, and myself, maybe reflecting a little bit on some of the guests we've had in 2021. Also, some of the uh, personal experiences we've had, uh, what we did this past year, maybe not only Masonically, but uh, personally as well. And uh, so we'll just see where the discussion goes. So, uh, first of all, let me just say thank you for everyone that's uh, been with us for these two years. Uh, we've certainly had a good time putting this together. And uh, the most fun is, you know, some of the unscripted stuff you guys don't hear that Bill and Darren and I talk about. It's, uh, you know, we get to catch up sort of in the, the pre-show stuff that we don't record just to see uh, what's going on. So it's uh, a lot of fun with that. First, let me mark the passing today of Thomas Jackson. Brother Jackson was very renowned within the Masonic world. He was one of those individuals that as soon as you met him, you just, you're like, wow, I, I'd like to be like him in terms of how he lived life, how he approached life. And he was what I was, I told Bill and Darren before we get on here, to me, he struck me as someone that was a very deep thinker not only about the craft, but really its place in the world. And you can go and search online and find several papers from him. There's some, there's an interview on YouTube that he did earlier this year. So there's some very fresh things. And uh, he had a long Masonic career. He was the former Grand Secretary for the Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania. He had been the, uh, the Secretary for the... Uh, the World Grand Masters Association, and that may not be the exact word of uh, title of it, but he was very involved internationally as well. And it's funny, I, I brought, I went to my bookshelf and the, earlier today and, and got out his book, Masonic Perspectives, The Thoughts of a Grand Secretary. And it was published in 2015 by Plumstone. And I bought this book at Masonic Week three or four years ago, and I had a conversation with him at the time. And as I was thumbing through that book, 
I noticed when I was talking to him that he was also a Boy Scout. And of course, you know, several episodes I've talked about similarities of scouting and, and Freemasonry. And he talks about that in that book. And he credits scouting really for setting him on his journey that he, you know, finished yesterday or today and uh, passed from this, this lodge to the Celestial Lodge above. And it was my quick observation of him. And he says this in some of his writings that he used to be concerned with the numbers as so many of us, when we come in the craft, we're like, oh, the numbers are going down. They've been going down for 50 or 60 years now. He really became more concerned with the, the quality of what the membership was, what we were doing. He really wrote extensively about the decline of our influence in society. And he observed that it was amazing in a country like the United States, where really Freemasonry is under no threat from a government or from really any organized religion of any substance was in that decline, yet you would go overseas to other countries where Freemasons were perhaps persecuted for just being a member of the craft, and there were people wanting to be uh, a part of it. And he opined extensively, again, about the decline, not only of our influence, but the impact our membership had uh, in your local community and the type of people that we were attracting. And so that's just a little bit about Tom, but I encourage you to go out and maybe we'll put in the show notes a link to a, a paper that he uh, published in 2019 when he was speaking to the Grand Lodge of Kentucky. And it, it has some very pointed thoughts in it. And so uh, we'll put that out there. But just wanted to mark his passing because he was one of the Masonic giants of, of his era and uh, certainly... His influence on the craft uh, won't be forgotten any time soon. So, Darren or Bill, any thoughts on that? Tom, he was, I mean, I first got acquainted with Tom's writings when he would do the book reviews for the Masonic Journal for the Scottish Rite Northern Masonic Jurisdiction. And he always did, he seemed to have a way of being able to tell you whether a book was worthy of actually picking up and reading or not. And I know he was big into the traditional observance movement. And I do, and I believe everything he said. And I truly believe that if we, if more Masons would listen to Tom Jackson and his works and his writings, we might be able to overcome a lot of the issues we have today. Him and I, you know, I never actually met the man, but him and I have had held similar observations for years. And He's going to be a great loss to Masonry. We're going to really miss him, and I hope that someday we can find someone to fill his shoes. Darren? Uh, I didn't uh, know much about Most Worship Brother Jackson. I think he was a past grandmaster, so I'll address him as such. Uh, but just in the brief moments here uh, where I've been able to look through the article you shared, Greg, and as Greg said, we'll put this article out in the show notes. Uh, he reminds me a lot of uh, Dwight Smith, who is, uh, as Bill knows, former Grand Master and former Grand Secretary of Indiana. And I, I know this, I've been on the Midnight Freemason blog, I've been dissecting um, a brief piece by Brother Smith called Whither Are We Traveling? Brother Smith wrote this in 1963, and so much of it still applies today. It's it's scary. It just shows, I guess, that there's unfortunately not been a lot of maturity or growth uh, within the Grand Lodges of Freemasonry uh, throughout the various jurisdictions, because a lot of the 
many of the issues that uh, Brother Smith and Brother Jackson write about are the same issues, and their writings are separated by a good, I'd say, probably 30 years or so. In a way, it's uh, it's kind of sad to, to know now that we have uh, somebody else who was uh, really trying to use his writing to turn Freemasonry into uh, to the right direction, if you will, and, and that voice has been silenced. No, I did not know Most Worship Brother Jackson. Uh, it's just in reading his writings, I can tell that he will be missed and his voice will be missed as well. Yeah, definitely his impact on the craft will be long-lasting, like, Darren, you've referenced Dwight Smith. I think he'll have that same kind of impact longer run. And, and, and I think with Dwight Smith, you could almost argue certainly he was impactful in his lifetime. But it, Darren, like Darren has, you know, found this article in his writings that he's, you know, was opining on in the 60s. And it's like Darren basically alluded to, nothing has changed. As a matter of fact, it may have gotten worse. And so the impact that people can have in their writings will transcend their lifetime, you know, generations down the, the road. And so I think that's uh, most worshipful brother Jackson definitely uh, will have that impact. You know, it got me to thinking about one of our guests in this kind of topic, and that was Russ uh, Shervonia, the former Grand Master of California. We had a one of the articles and one of the uh, episodes we did was with him, and uh, Russ's topic for a long time has been civility. Matter of fact, he's just written a new book on it that's come out, and I haven't had a chance to pick it up yet, but I'm looking forward to doing that. But yet, civility is in a in an essence fits right into what we're talking about that Brother Jackson and Brother Smith wrote about. And Jackson would opine about we have lost some of our influence, which is certainly true in society. But part of that, I think, also goes hand-in-hand with that ability. If we pick up that baton with civility and other things, we can, again, have impact in society. Those things will, uh, I think, help fix the numbers problem in and of itself, because people will want to be a part of what we have. And we don't need to see the numbers that we did post-World War II, but what we need is that influence that makes people want to be a part of what we stand for and want to stand with us in 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 our day-to-day uh, dealings in life. Russ was an interesting fan. He brought up a lot of points, and a lot, much like Brother Jackson, his actions and what he's and what Russ is trying to accomplish within the craft, and not only within the craft but within the world, if we were to bring back civility to our meetings and our craft, we might be able to kind of take a lot of the anger and a lot of the arguments away. We might be actually able to work together and forge ahead and create a new process and possibly build a new direction for lot, for our lodges and our craft. Instead of just being segment, segmented and, you know, you believe this, I believe that. Well, let's just keep fighting, and then we'll keep fighting until the ship sinks. And, you know, that's kind of what we're doing, not only within Freemasonry, but within the world. And if we can be civil to each other and possibly just work together and, you know, put our disagreements aside, or at least come together and meet halfway, not only would that 
be able to maybe make Freemasonry something that can be great again. Pardon the thing, but we might actually be able to do that with the entire world. I agree. And, you know, Darren, you and I have had discussions just even just either on car rides or whatever we've been about the ability for people to not be able to have rational discussions and disagree and and come up with solutions because we're so, you know, tribalized right now that you either are on, on this side or that side. And that, that part in the middle where I think all the really the action should take place, that, that area of compromise isn't taking place. And so I just want to ask Darren, because uh, you, you, as you referenced, Darren, you're writing that series of articles, and I think it sort of plays into that, still that same theme. How do you think Freemasons, you know, we've talked about civility, but how do we encourage that ability to free think, have discussions, and have dialogue with one another? I think we all can agree that Freemasonry is local. Uh, that that you, Greg, you, Bill, you can really only influence the lodges that you are a part of. So I think that it is a matter of of starting locally and starting within your lodge and and having in your community even maybe sponsoring you have, using your lodge to sponsor workshops to talk about civility and talk about how to talk to somebody that may have differing opinions than you and and how to come to a consensus where I'm not going to agree with what you what you think and you're probably not going to agree with what I think but there are things within the middle ground there are places where we can meet where we can agree on on things and we can agree on basic humanity of individuals and and I think that that's where we as Freemasons need to try to make our mark because it's not something that we're going to be able to solve on a global level and it's not something we're going to be able to solve you know on a county level state level but I think that we can at least maybe if we make the effort and if we can reach some people in our community and help them with developing these skills, I think that we can slowly maybe make the world a better place. Because if you, the idea being, you know, if you teach a man to, to fish, you know, you're going to feed him for, (laughs) uh, the rest of his life the same idea applies i think if we can as freemasons you know use some of our principles and use them to show members of the community that look we're an organization where men come from various backgrounds various belief systems but we all can sit here for an hour or two and just get along and I think that's a beautiful thing, and I think it's a thing that, that we need in this world now more than ever. So I think that that's where we start, and we just try to reach. We're not going to reach everybody. I mean, if we have 20 people come to one of these things at a local lodge, and if four walk out with their mind changed, I think that that we're doing something, because the hope will be that those four people will maybe reach another four people and so on and so forth and that maybe slowly we can turn the tide and it's not gonna 
I don't think it's something that we will ever reap the benefits of in our lifetime, but I think that if we can at least do try to do something instead of just watching essentially our communities, our neighbors bicker with each other. And it's just uh it's just a path that uh we're going down a path that it's going to be difficult to recover from. And and we're getting to a point where you're where you are seeing people get labeled with certain labels, you know, snowflake, lefty, righty, whatever, you know, Nazi, whatever you want to call people, just based on their political belief. And that's not, uh, and obviously there are some people that are white supremacists, and I'm not talking about the ones that we're not going to be able to reach, but I'm talking about the average American that we can potentially use Freemasonry as a tool to help develop some some skills to help them communicate with their neighbor. And maybe I'm being uh, optimistic. I don't know. Bill. Well, you know, I mean, by our own lodge rules, we're supposed to be doing this already. We're supposed to not allow, at least during our meetings, such things as politics or religion to creep into any of our discussions. Harmony and peace are supposed to be at all times within meeting walls. But, I mean, we should be the ones that lead the example anyway. I was thinking while Darren was talking that there's a lot of examples going on, even right now, that we are the example. This podcast is a good example for number one. Darren, myself, and you know everybody, we all three of us have our own political beliefs. We all, none of us are... Now, we don't all hold it. You know, some of us are liberal, some of us are conservative, some of us are middle of the road. But we all three work together. We don't let our political lives rule how we operate as a team. We don't allow the Midnight Freemasons. Some of us are of different religions. I mean, some of us don't even come close to believing the same things we as the other does. But we all work great as an integral unit. And I'm thinking to myself, picture in your mind one of those those elaborate row of dominoes that kind of go around, that are set up, and then how one domino, if you knock that down, it will take it and it'll completely knock all the remainders down, and it will form some type of design. If you are that domino, and you can start that row you can possibly start a chain reaction within your own community, which may possibly be within your own state, your own country, and maybe even around the world. I mean, that sounds kind of Pollyanna-ish, but if you're, and you, if you, several members of your lodge who have completely nothing involved, nothing in common to get involved and work together for the good of your lodge, you can possibly let be that be seen in in within not only your lodge but maybe within your district or within the town that you live in. People will see that and say, "Well, if those guys can work together, I mean, you might have a black man, you might have a young guy covered in tattoos, a seventy-year-old guy, a Hispanic, Asian. Who else? You pick a you know diversified group of whatever of men like that working together for a common goal." And they're getting along, and they're getting their job done. And there's not arguing, they're not bickering. 
but they're all working for a common goal and peace and harmony. That could be possibly a catalyst to knock over that first domino, and it could possibly change. I mean, not you know, everybody wants to be in harmony with each other. They just have to possibly be reminded of it. I was thinking about during the years during the fighting in Northern Ireland between the British and the English, or the, excuse me, the um, Irish nationalists. There was constantly fighting, gunfire, bombings, such things in Dublin. And two mothers, one on one side and one on the other, they seen each other on opposite sides of the thing, and they got together. They stopped. They went to the basically to the to the front to the borderline, and one said to the other, "says I am sick of this. I don't want my kids to grow up with this." And she and the other one replied, "I'm the same way." And those two got together, and they started the thing, and with between them two getting together for a common goal. They started a chain reaction, which led to Sinn Féin and the um, English government getting together. And it caused peace in Northern Ireland. All it took was these two women getting together, both of them saying, we've had enough, and we want change, and we want peace. All you have to do is, if you want something bad enough, and if you want a change, you can create it yourself. You just have to want it, and you have to be willing to give on each side. And you have to be able to work with others. And that's brothers, that's basically, that's all we need to do in our lodges. That's all we need to do in our towns. And we just have to want change. We have to be willing to compromise. And such a thing like that can cause that chain reaction with those dominoes. And possibly, we just may have to quit listening to outside sources like media, who both on either side have mercenary motives. But we could possibly get through this and cause stability if we want it. Yeah, Bill, you 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 and Darren both hit on so many great ideas and topics. You know, I I think most people, if you just ask them individually outside of the group pressure kind of a situation, be like, you know, don't you think we should compromise and and try to find that middle ground? And you get some of what you want, I get some of what I want, and we both walk away not entirely a hundred percent satisfied, but knowing that. Yeah, we, we struck a chord with each other and talk with each other. I think if you talk to most people individually, they're like, yeah, that's where we want to be. That's how it should work. But unfortunately, with social media and all the other ways that we're divided and tribalized, that's not the impact. So I think, Bill, to your point, is people got to want it. And I think where Freemasonry has an opportunity at the local level, because I think Darren's right, the influence is going to come locally and all those local things that are done across, you know, a state or, or whatever geographic region you're talking about, they add up together to have the collective influence. And this is where we can help set the example for facilitating some of those conversations and saying, hey, look, th- this is what we do every month. Yeah, I mean, some of our meetings aren't very exciting. So what? There's still the art of compromise being done every month. And in your local lodge, and that's the practice of democracy through discussion and uh, ends up a vote. And it's those discussions that don't take place anymore. So, you know, okay, talking about the year in reflection. So one of the things I I had an opportunity this past year, I attended a, oh, it was a a farm meeting with with one of the congressmen. 
And so the congressman came and was given an update of what was going on in D.C. and this, that, and the other. And I got to ask the last question of the day. And so I, I asked him, I said, you know, with all the polarization that's going on in our country right now, what can you do, what can we do to try to help improve it? And we had some of the exact same conversation we just spoke about here, need to compromise, et cetera. But I said, you know what, that's, that's fine, but who's going to be the first to lead? And, you know, this person readily admitted what we needed to do to help and move forward as a country. But yet also said in the same hand, if I don't respond basically in kind, and I don't mean kindness, but in kind or in likewise to some of the, you know, quote opposition, then I'll get blown out of the water and I won't be in Congress. And it just, it illustrated where we're at, that people recognize the need for us to talk with one another and have compromise and, and, you know, not act so one-sided, but yet in practice, that's not what we're doing. To bring it back to our conversation in Freemasonry, this is, again, where I think the opportunity is, as both Darren and Bill have pointed out. And, of course, we could have hours and hours and hours of episodes on this topic alone. But in our year-end recap, I think it's uh, it was kind of an appropriate one to look back and uh, the conversation we had with, with Russ. So why don't we uh, we'll, we'll wrap that part of it up with that. We won't spend the whole uh, episode on that area. But let me just throw up another, oh, interesting thing. And that was, you know, kind of what we did over the summer. And all, all three of us had an adventure in different things. Uh, in my case, I, I was very honored. I got to go to Cleveland and receive the, the 33rd degree. And I just, I was so impressed with the entire meeting and, and, and everything that went on. I've just, I've been to lots of meetings over the years for business and whatever. And I have never seen anything so well organized where I felt so valued as an individual as I did during that four days, five days. And they just treated all the 33rd degree candidates just like royalty. It was just so well planned and executed, and it just it added so much value to my perception of the Scottish Rite and Freemasonry in general. And just, it was, I don't know, a tremendous experience. Again, not to go back to what we were just talking about it, but in many ways it reemphasized the need for us to do some of those things. And that was actually one of the challenges they gave us is like the 33rd is not an end, but it's a beginning. And it really kind of inspired us to go back out into our communities and, and do some of those things. So that was one of the things I got to do uh, this summer. Spent a lot of time at a lake house in Kentucky that, you know, Darren's been able to visit uh, once. And we we did a field trip down there to the old museum at Fort Knox and had a good time there. And uh, so, you know, all the year wasn't doom and gloom. And uh, Darren and Bill both had some exciting trips, and we talked about them. I'm going to start with Darren. Uh, you went out west, and that actually led to uh, you meeting some people. And one of our guests was as a result of your trip. Yeah, I didn't actually get to meet uh, most worshipful brother Russ Smith, but I conversed with him over email on my trip out west. I went to Craters of the Moon National Monument, and to get there, you pass through. Uh, Arco, Idaho. And Arco, Idaho 
has the distinction of being the first town powered by atomic power. It was only powered for about an hour uh, by a uh, nuclear, or I guess at that point it would have been an atomic reactor that was nearby, uh, and that unfortunately when I went that reactor was was closed, but you can actually go and visit it. I believe the Department of Energy uh, has it, uh, you know, is in charge of it, and they still have it open and, and give tours, et cetera, and explain kind of what uh, the reactor, how it, how it functioned. I thought it was really neat to be able to find the lodge there and wanted to write an article for the Midnight Freemason blog on that lodge in Arco, since it would have been, in my mind, the first Masonic lodge in the world to be powered by atomic power, and uh, in doing so was connected with the Grandmaster of the state of Idaho, and we were able to get Russ uh, as a guest on the program. So uh, that was really neat to, you know, get to speak with him, and he was such a fascinating guest. Just, I would urge people to go back and, and listen to that episode, uh, especially how he got into Freemasonry, I thought was really interesting story. Yeah, it was just very, very fascinating. And, you know, there's a lot of our guests. We need to do another follow-up episode, just frankly, because they were so interesting and we didn't have enough time to get as in-depth as we wanted to on some of the stuff. Bill went to the north part of the United States and what just had to have been a fabulous trip to Alaska. Bill? Yeah, we went to the Great White North, eh? I got to travel pretty much a good portion of the state of Alaska. We landed in Anchorage, and we spent a couple of days in Seward, Alaska, and I got to, I went to go look for the Masonic Temple in Seward, Alaska, and I turned out, as I was looking, I I was staying just about two blocks from it. It was a beautiful little Episcopal church that the lodge rents. And I had taken a picture of it because it's just so picturesque. And as I started Googling it, I found it out. I never had the opportunity to actually visit the lodge. They were they were dark for the time, and they'd already had their meet- meetings for that period. But the building itself is just beautiful. It was like over 100 years old. And I'd, if I ever get to go back up there, I definitely want to go and check it out. But I ended up writing a piece for the Midnight Freemasons about the history of that building and how the Masons rented that hall. And then we went to another couple of towns. And I, we visited North Pole, Alaska. And I wanted to visit the North Pole Lodge. And I'd always heard, and I don't know, it may be true, but I didn't get to visit but. The uh, master of the lodge there in North Pole wears a Santa cap instead of a cowboy hat or any other type of cap when he's in the East. I thought, well, that would have been interesting, but all the Masonic activity had already ceased for for that period while I was there, naturally. But we finally found the building, and they rent a Lions Club hall. Uh, Apparently, not many of the lodges in Alaska have their own buildings. So I did finally get to find the Grand Lodge of Alaska building, and I had my photograph taken there. But it was a beautiful, beautiful state. We got to do a lot of things. We went to go. We went gold mining, and some of the people we went with went deep sea fishing. And it was it was definitely an interesting trip. And if you have an opportunity to go to Alaska, I definitely encourage you to go do it. 
We loved um, taking ATVs out near a Denali, and we're actually part of the fifteen percent club, where we actually got to see the, the top of it without the clouds. It's it's really beautiful. I mean, you'll never see any other part of the country that looks like that anymore. It's all still pretty much natural and beautiful. Yeah, what I hope to go. I was going to go in twenty or twenty one, and ended up we canceled our trip. So maybe another time. Yeah, maybe we'll take that midnight Freemasons cruise up there in Hawaii. Yeah, boy, wouldn't that be great? I'm I'm ready to go. So, well, I know you both did a lot of other things, and Darren, I'm gonna pick your brain a little bit about something you did recently, and you presented at the Double Eagle Con in Chicago, and uh, were one of I think eight featured speakers, if I recall, but, uh, and Darren had given his talk locally a couple of times and Darren, I just ask you to reflect on how it went. What'd you learn? What was the interactions like with the brothers, et cetera? Yeah. So, uh, thanks for bringing that up, Greg. I had the wonderful opportunity to speak at double Eagle con in Bloomingdale, Illinois at the Valley of Chicago some fantastic Masonic speakers. On the slate, I would say the highlight of uh, of my day was getting to meet in person Most Worshipful Brother uh, Robert Davis of the great state of Oklahoma, and also uh, Brother Chuck Dunning, uh, who you know I had corresponded with previously, but never had met in person. So uh, those were big highlights. Of mine, uh, the nicest surprise was that uh, Ben Wallace from North Carolina had came in for the for it. I did not expect to see him there, and it was uh, nice to catch up with with Ben. Ben came to visit Homer Lodge uh, for the Illinois Lodge Research Spring 2017 Symposium, I believe. And uh, we got a freak snowstorm that day, and I was in charge of the transportation, getting Ben from his hotel in Champaign out to Homer and back. So that led to some interesting times and, and travels. I think they thought that uh, they were going to, to die a couple of times in the, in the car, and because, uh, you know, I guess they probably aren't used to handling driving in the snow like we are, but um, I got them back safely, and it was uh, it was nice to see. Ben and Tony Rathbone was with Ben as well, and Tony had also come to visit us at Homer, so it was good to catch up with both of those brothers from North Carolina. Uh, as Greg mentioned, I gave a presentation basically about uh, the core values in the Northern Masonic jurisdiction of Scottish Rite and uh, how those core values uh, interact with the qualities of somebody who is... Uh, mature masculine and a lot of the presentation is about how it's difficult for men to make friends and it's also difficult for men to speak with their friends regarding their emotions and how we need to be able to make friends with other men that allow us to you know share these feelings because not sharing these feelings can lead to anger depression and in some cases suicide so very important topic. I was very honored to be chosen to speak that day, and I know that my presentation made a mark uh, when Most Worship Brother Davis asked for 
it because there was some uh, some data in it that he wanted to incorporate in some of his uh, future presentations. So um, that was a big, big, big honor for me to be able to speak and meet these brothers and start friendships with them. So it's uh, it was really great, and then great to see some of the other brothers that I hadn't seen in a while, like um, Ben and Tony, and. Just uh, felt incredibly welcomed by all the members of LA Chicago. And uh, there were a lot of brothers that had come from other places as well. There were some brothers who came from the Valley of Minneapolis and Minnesota uh, for the presentation. And, and just uh, meeting just meeting the brothers of, uh, you know, just uh, once again getting to meet these brothers, interact with them, and, and have good fellowship and great day of education. It was, uh, it was priceless, in my opinion. I'm very, like I said, very, very honored to be chosen to speak, and hopefully they'll have me back. No, that's awesome, Darren, that you got to go. No, you did a great job on the presentation just from the previews that you gave us down here. My question for you would be, you've now, you've planned a symposium. You've been a speaker at a Masonic Con type of event. Do you foresee those as the future of Masonic education or where do they fit into the total puzzle of how to include Masonic education? It's a great question. I don't see them as the future, but I do see them as a trend that is going to stick around. I think uh, that what is useful uh, with these Masonic cons or these conferences is that it gives, I think, a brother who may not know what Masonic education is about uh, an insight into what it can be about. And and all these topics that we spoke of were tied into uh, the Scottish Rite, based upon it being a Scottish Rite-sponsored event. You know, in, in any case, all the conferences that I've attended, uh, Esotericon, you know, trends more towards some of the esoteric um, themes in Freemasonry. But still, uh, all of these conferences, the ones that I've been part of the ones that I planned, all I think show that you can have Masonic education in your own lodge, and it's not that difficult. And I'm hoping that uh, that men, you know, who attend these things, other than the regular uh, guys like myself or education junkies, but you know, the I guess the the average Joe six pack Freemason who doesn't know a lot about Masonic education, I think, can go to one of these conferences and not only get great Masonic education and light from that day, but also see, you know, what a good discussion can be had coming from these presentations. And I would say that out of all the presentations that were that day, mine probably had the longest Q&A. It really did spark a lot of... Uh, conversation between brethren and it was really good to get that conversation going and hear all of everybody's opinions and and input yeah it's you know for our 2022 episode bucket list darren i'd love you to you know give a, a modified form of that presentation just because of some of the reasons you hit on and that is the and it really ties back into what we were talking about earlier was the ability for people to have conversations with each other. And in this case, we're not even talking about politics and all that. 
It's just the simple fact of, you know, conversation tends to relieve anxiety, stress. It's It helps improve understanding between people. In this case, you're talking about, you know, masculinity and and how brothers can talk better with each other. But anyway, I want to put that on our uh, show list for uh, down the road in 2022. Hey, Bill, one of the things I think we were talking about on email uh, yesterday was, I don't know if you got a chance to watch it, but last night I watched the the cinematic review, uh, the virtual cinematic reunion that was put on by the Orient of Missouri Scottish Rite. Didn't know if you had a chance to tune into that, but I I was so fascinated with what they did. It was so well done. I wanted to give a few minutes to review it. I did. Did you have a chance to see it? Actually, I did. In fact, that's the reason we were supposed to record this last night. And then you remembered about that, and so we postponed this to do it today, this afternoon. And I, I tuned in and watched it, and it was really well done. I mean, I'm used to watching the Northern Masonic Jurisdictions video uh, presentations of degrees, but that was really well done. I was honest, it was great to see, and I got to see Brother Steve Harrison doing his part in the uh, degree work, too, and I thought that was kind of neat. But, yeah, I'm glad to see that at least it's a, I don't know if it's a test, the Southern Jurisdiction, as to, to see if it's a possibility for future rep, for future re- virtual reunions or whether this is just a one-up. But I was really impressed with it. It was, the cinematics was wonderful. There was nothing that was, you couldn't show anyone. There was nothing esoteric. There was nothing that really you couldn't see. And I think to the, a candidate who had been watching it the first time, I he would have really, got, I think, got a good idea of a good start. Hopefully, gave him an idea to go see the remainder of them. I was really impressed. Yeah, I was too. To give our listeners a, a little bit more insight as to what it was, the the the, the Orient of Missouri put put forth a a, a a platform where they went through all 29 Scottish Rite degrees and really even went through the three Blue Lodge degrees. And what how they did it was, let's just let's start with the fourth degree. They had somebody, and these are the Southern Jurisdiction degrees, had somebody really give an overview of what it was and what, what was going to take place in that degree. And they would have a very short, I don't even think actual part of the degree, but they would have some of the characters on on stage in costume, you know, doing a little bit of it, maybe just a tiny bit of it, but the narration gave you a true true perspective as to what it was and and some history of the degree, but I think the most important part I got out of it was pulling out those moral lessons for each of them and then you could see how they were building on those from one the degree to the next and it was a, uh, you know, if you tuned into the early part of it, it was a full four hours to go through all those. But I was just entranced to the end of it. I was just very impressed. This was actually an encore presentation. They had done it last year, and I didn't get a, I guess, didn't, I don't know why I didn't see it or what, didn't sign up for it. But anyway, they did it again. And so they presented them uh, so that candidates could join. And the Grand Lodge of Missouri was one of the uh, sponsors and supporters of this. So they had, you know, the buy-in of, of, of that, of the Grand Lodge. 
you know, what was, I guess, interesting was not only did they go through all those degrees, but they also explained other parts of the Scottish Rite. One uh, example that comes to my mind, uh, Aaron Shoemaker, who I know, he's from Missouri, and had uh, some parts in several of the, the Greek presentations. But anyway, he gave a preview as to what the four caps in Scottish Rite mean in the southern jurisdiction. And so he had the four caps there, the various colors and, you know, what they stood for. He even explained why do we wear those caps to begin with. And I'll be honest, I didn't know. And so I learned something. And and so if you're completely new, you understood after his talk about, you know, one's the 33rd, one was uh, the commander-in-chief and other things. And uh, just gave you a good overview of what was going to uh, go on when you saw those. So anyway, kudos to the Orient of Missouri, the Grand Lodge of Missouri, and all of those brethren who put that cinematic version together. It really got me thinking, it's like, well, what could we do at the Valley of Danville here in Illinois, the, you know, in the northern? Could we do some of those or even short ones in between the full degrees? They do have some neat stuff. And I liked also how they had the nice little visit representation for Molay and then right care and they really gave a good presentation on everything and i was impressed with the caps too one thing that they and i even asked Aaron about this a couple weeks ago because you know even though i'm a member of this uh northern jurisdiction and that's where i was made the 32nd i never went to any of to the meetings because really they didn't ever really wanted us to go to our meetings in my valley i asked him i says when you pray in a valley meeting in northern jurisdiction, do you do the sign of the lamb? I says, you know, that took me aback when I was in, you know, in the southern jurisdiction. When you pray, you know, you hold, you know, like you're holding a lamb. Because I don't ever remember doing that in the north. And I still, I'm still kind of curious about that. Darrison, he didn't think so, except maybe in a certain degree. And so I thought, well, shoot, I, you know. I don't think so. I don't think we, it was new to me seeing it there too. I don't think we do. Yeah, I, I had to actually learn that because I, I was kind of caught flat-footed when I went into it for the first time. Yeah, so it's funny, Bill, since uh, we had that conversation at uh, Double Eagle Con, all of the brethren in the Valley of Chicago do use the sign of the lamb. I'm uh, what I'm talking about is you know having your your arms kind of crossed and your hands on your shoulders. I'm assuming that's what you're talking about. Yeah, you put your left you put your left hand over your right shoulder. Right. And, yeah. And then over yeah. your and over your right arm, and then you spread your fingers and you bow your head. Right. So so all the brethren in in the Valley of Chicago, that's how they uh, for the most part, that's how they prepared themselves for the, the the benedictions that took place over the meals that day. So I think it might just be valley by valley in the northern Masonic jurisdiction. But yeah, and in Danville, we you, I was never taught that. But it was kind of neat to see uh, the brethren in the Valley of Chicago do that. I think there must be a lot in the uh, northern jurisdiction that's valley to valley because I've noticed that there's a lot more in the southern jurisdiction that's kind of, no matter where you go, it's done this way. You know, like caps. You always wear a cap in the southern jurisdiction. But I never wore one in Fort Wayne. And I, I think, but I think in Indianapolis, 
it's something you do, or at least the officers do. But I don't think in Danville you do, unless you're 33rd or MSA. Is that right? Oh, yes, or an officer. The, the officers wear them, too. I have seen a few people start to wear the blue caps, which is the 32nd degree cap. And it's something I'd like to see more people do. I think, Bill and Darren, to your points, though, it's kind of like we were talking earlier. Everything seems to be local. And that also applies to Scottish Rite and some of the you know, local customs and traditions that each of those uh, have as well. And there's another, if you go searching on YouTube for it, they have uh, this, I think it's the Kansas City Valley, has a, a video about Masonic or 32nd degree rings and Scottish Rite rings. And it's just as interesting as the one about the caps. They talk about the, the only official ring for an, an average everyday member is the 14th degree ring with the yacht. That the 32nd degree, that you can pretty much have anyone you want. That's not really considered to be official ring. Oh, and, then, then the, and then the 33rd is official. But I thought, I'll be darned, I never knew that. And so it's like, that's, those are some things that I really think are kind of interesting. And I, I truly think that we should have a show just based on the Scottish Rite in two jurisdictions one of these days. Okay, there we, we've got show number two on the bucket list for 2022. <laughs> I'm on it. <laughs> so no, I, I would love to. And you know what Darren and I, Bill, have talked about, and I think we've talked about with you, someday we're going to, three of us are going to do a road trip. Of course, the idea would ideal would be go to Guthrie and see all 29 of the full degrees portrayed in a weekend. I just think that'd be awesome. That's something, that would. Definitely, something definitely we're going to do, hopefully in 22, if not somewhere in the not too distant future, because I think we'd all uh, we'd all have a great time with it. So anyway, that was such a tremendous production. Uh, thank you to the Orient of Missouri for allowing all of us from, you know, not your even your jurisdiction to uh, participate and see it. I really, really enjoyed it. And if you are a member of the Scottish Rite and you're interested in finding out more about this, uh, you can go to, I believe the URL is scottishrite.live and you can register for um, emails talking about future dates on that. Yeah, and we'll throw that link in the show notes as well so that you can see it. So, What else did we do in 2021? Well, Bill, we have spoken a little bit about what you did in regards to your book. And I just wanted to know how it was coming. I know I bought the Kindle version early and have started to go through it. And of course, you've got the hard copy version. I know it's available on Amazon. I saw that you had a few copies that you were autographing. How goes the uh, book sales? <laughs> well, I'm darn near a New York Times bestseller. I think yesterday as I looked, I've sold 19 copies. So I'm right up there with, you know, all the bestsellers. <laughs> but no, seriously, you bought, the, actually, the as far as I know, you bought the first copy off the Amazon. So congratulations. <laughs> and thank you. But it's going okay. I mean, I Roger Van Gordon once said that a Masonic bestseller is when you sell three books. So, I mean, I, I figure I'm a bestseller now, but... It's going well. I'm really pleased that anybody actually even considered buying my book, so I'm tickled about that. And I've had, I think I've had like six or seven people actually want autograph book, and that just still blows me away. And 
in the process of signing them and getting them ready to mail this week right now. And it's going well. It, it was, it's been kind of fun. I mean, it really is. It's been surprising how much it, you know, work it took to put together. And it's, just, it's gratifying just to know that I've actually done something like that. I don't know if I'll ever have another one. I, I like to think that I'd like to put the 50-year member series into a book form. But even if I never do, I've done one bucket list item, and that's been a published author. Yeah, you, you've done that. I've had that on my list forever, and uh, it's still there. So we'll see. Maybe 2022. Gosh, what, in two days as we record this, I can start to get my resolutions all set out just so by February 1 I can have them all broken. So, Yeah, by my first day, you can be right back to being good old Greg Nod again. Yeah, exactly. Eating my pizza, eating out of the gas stations, and all the other <laughs> healthy Healthy stuff I do. The thing that makes life great. I was going to say that I was personally challenged by Ben Wallace to come out with the book. So uh, I gave him some of the ideas I was working on. But uh, I guess that should be the challenge, Greg, that we both need to get a Masonic book out in 2022. So I, know, I really I, think we I should. I mean, if Bill can do it, then that's proven anybody can yeah, do it. That really proves it right there. If I can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Darren, we're going to stay on each other because we need to do this. And um, I think if nothing else in this podcast, what the theme recurring over and over and over is, we all love Masonic education. And it's funny, the three of us approach it from different ways. And I think we, we all have three different interests. If you were to, you know, peel it back as to where our particular, you know, areas of interest lie. But at the at the core, it's all the same. And it's about, you know, getting brethren engaged in learning and improving oneself. And uh, I'm proud that the three of us, amongst many of our other brethren we know, are part of the catalyst of what I would consider a movement that's changing Freemasonry. And uh, so anyway, that's, you're right, Darren. We need to get our book so we can further this cause. I'll tell you what, I've been thinking about, believe it or not, starting my own publishing company because I had somebody tell me how to do that. You guys write them, I'll publish them. Perfect. Sounds like a plan. Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. Maybe all cause... three of us could write a book together. The three fat Masons write a book. Yeah. How to cook green beans. Wow. <laughs> There you go. I'd be a bestseller. <laughs> and cheese sandwiches or something, I don't know. So. Bacon and cheese sandwiches. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're getting long on our show here. Uh, we've had a little bit of fun looking back at uh, 2021. I'm going to – I'll give it just a little bit. Let me let me ask Darren and Bill first if you've got any, uh, any closing uh, thoughts for 2021 as we wrap it up. I'll go to Bill. Well, it was a great year for me, anyway. It was an unusual year. I mean, it just amazes me. We've still kept this train running. I mean, we've had a lot of great episodes. We've uh, met a lot of great people, you know, virtually on this thing. And it's really, I think we get a lot of comments on how much people love what we do. And I think, if I can speak for the three of us, we're all shocked and really tickled that people listen to us and we love what we do. And I hope we can do even better for them in the next year of 2022. And just thank you for listening. And if you like what we do, please consider using that little button on our website to sign up for our Patreon page. Exactly. And Darren. 
I just echo what Bill said. Uh, a big thank you to our listeners, because without uh, anybody listening, there'd be no point in putting the podcast together, although I still have fun doing it. And uh, especially uh, a thank you to all of our guests and to my co-hosts, Greg and Bill. Just uh, appreciate you more than you'll ever know. And uh, I'd also like to thank my girlfriend, Lisa, who uh, supports me in all my Masonic uh, undertakings, even if she doesn't quite understand sometimes what the hubbub is about. And hasn't smothered you with a pillow yet. That is most important, uh, Bill, and I'm sure that there may have several times that thought may have crossed her mind, but uh, uh, we can't do that yet because... As we've explained in other episodes, Darren is still, even at the end of 2021, my intern. And I've got to have an intern. Bill lives too far away, so he, he can't be the intern. It has to be Darren. You 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 have Rocky. You'll be in good hands. Yeah. yeah there we go. Hey, I just want to say again, as Bill and Darren did, uh, thank you for listening. We do have a lot of fun doing this. Um, uh, I can't, two years just flew by. We're going to try some, uh, not only some good topics in 2022, but we may add some bells and whistles to our little production that we're in discussions of right now. And the key thing is we want to have some fun. And that that fun translates into you enjoying what we talk about and maybe you learn from us and share some of your thoughts, then we uh, are grateful. So just on Bill's behalf, let me thank Tammy for him and let me thank Brooke for me, my wife, for all the support they do give us and all of our families in general. So with that, I wish you a happy new year for 2022. Again, thank you for listening in 2021, and we'll see you soon on another exciting episode of Meet, Act, and Part. Thank you for listening to Meet, Act, and Part. For more information about our show, visit our website at www.meetactandpart.com. While there, please consider supporting the show by sponsoring us on Patreon. Until we meet again, may we meet, Act, and Part.